Welcome everybody to another episode of the Performance Strategies and Stumbles podcast. I'm your host Dan Howes and today I'm excited to bring you an episode with Jack Oton. I'll let Jack introduce himself and the role that he's currently doing now but please look at the show notes to see a little bit more about Jack's career history. Before we move to the episode, a little reminder that we've got a competition running still to win over £600 worth of mentorship support from myself through Collaborate Sports in conjunction with Team Builder. Again, links in the show notes to find out more. But without further ado, let's head to this exciting episode with Jack Oton, where we're going to be discussing the strategy around physical preparation for NFL athletes with a combine in mind. Jack, thank you so much for coming on the pod. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. It's uh, it's been a long, long time since we've managed to sit down together one on one, have a chat. So it's long overdue. Hundred percent. I'm looking forward to to listening into you today. So for those who tune in today, you can uh, read about Jack's career in the bio a little bit deeper. And um, but we are going to detail a little bit about what Jack is doing now and the purpose of his role. So Jack, just over to you. What is it you're doing currently? Who with and what's the main role purpose? So I'm a strength and conditioning, well, graduate strength and conditioning coach with Loughborough University. Um, but more specifically, I'm a strength and conditioning coach uh, working with the NFL Academy program. I uh, have been since August of 2022 when the program moved up from North London to Loughborough. Um, and working with quite a small IDT, so it's myself within an SNC realm, my boss who's the head of performance slash SNC, a uh, sports rehabilitator, a part-time nutritionist, and that's <laughs> mostly the sort of the core full-time group. And, and then we have a, a smothering of placement students who who do great work within the strength and conditioning field as well, as well as performance analysis. Uh, our global goal is, as a performance support team is to improve the athletic development of some of the world's best American football players outside the US aged 16 to 19. Um, more globally, the goal of our, our program and organization is trying to create a pathway for these young men to Hopefully, at the end of it, hopefully make it as an NFL player, essentially a professional nice. sportsman. Um, so specifically trying to get him into Division 1, we know that 98% of all NFL draftees are drafted from Division 1 colleges. So that's our big target um, in terms of our feeding group. But any sort of Division college mm. or Division level college football is is uh, is a goal for us. And more specifically with my role as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm trying to create a, a toolbox of movement skills both within and, and outside of the gym and on the field as well and um, develop sp- uh, specific physical qualities relative to their position. Uh, and ultimately, I'm trying to make them as robust as I possibly can, uh, ultimately, because some of these guys have not played the sport very much before mm-hmm. at all. So what I'm trying to do is maximize the time they can spend on the field developing a, as an American football player, therefore increasing the chances of getting recruited. So the, the way that we do that is, is try and get them as healthy as we can. So nice. Sure. And so we're going to dig into a, a very specific performance strategy, which will be a little bit left field to what people might think for somebody working in team sport. I, I know you just said off air you've got 65 players across yep. your squad or yep. roster. Yeah. And yep. with that, you'll be preparing them technically and tactically. But we're going to dig into the specific approaches you're taking at the moment. And the combine plays heavily into that, as far as I understand. So we're going to dig into that today. Do you want to just detail a little bit about what that is at the coalface? And then we'll start getting into the details. Of course. Yeah. So. A huge drive of recruitment from particularly high school level football, which is what our guys are are currently at, to collegiate level football is uh, the use of a combine. Uh, the, the combine itself comprises of different tests of, of maximum strength, of speed, of power, jumping ability, change of direction ability, all of that. So essentially, we need to focus a lot of our time and energy and invest a lot of our resources into to optimally preparing them for this um, combine opportunity that they get once a year, because ultimately alongside the film they'll collect through the games we play, this is going to be one of the biggest uh, drivers mm-hmm. and one of the biggest influences of their future. What are you doing as an S&C coach then to 
optimize this opportunity with the combine in mind? What approaches are you taking? Is it that you're a 50-50 split or in terms of technical, tactical and combine prep in your program design? Or does it sit as a big priority or does it sit sit secondary and accessory to, to playing football? Yeah, good question. I think to give some context, uh, so our season will start, so we have pre-season starting at the end of July through August. We'll then have our first fixtures from September to December and that will be the same as the NFL and same as a lot of um, college-based systems across America and the American sort of system of the season. We align closely to that. So from September to December, we have um, a number of competitive fixtures. And then we have almost now started to create some dedicated time within the year to specifically prepare for this combine period. So um, the combine typically is February, March time. We'll start our preparations. Our hands are tied a little bit in terms of when games will end and when competitions end. So our, our competition, so our combine preparation will often start from December and work our way through December over Christmas into January, February, and then typically March time is when it's the big show day. So, uh, we typically last year, it was very much a 100% or 90 10 split probably between combine preparation and technical tactical. Um, it was our first year of doing it up in Loughborough, so of course it, ha- it was kind of quick and dirty in, in that sense, and we learned a lot of, of decent lessons uh, throughout that process. This year we've iterated it. We've had a bit of turnover from technical coaching staff perspective, a lot more Americans within the system, those who have been through it themselves, those who know the ins and outs of, of this mm. recruitment process. So uh, they have worked with us to gen- generate a slightly different model where we're probably going more of a 60-40 split now between combine preparation yeah. and technical tactical uh, prep as well nice. ultimately we can't forget what they are at the end of the day which i know that the, the athlete passport as you mentioned is incredibly important but ultimately they need the film too they need to continue mm. refining the technical tactical skills because as i mentioned before some of these guys have not played the sport ever since they actually arrived here so that's a huge emphasis for us as well so it's, it's far more nice. of a conjugate approach rather than okay. it being sort of a dichotomy between the two yeah i'd like it okay so we're going to dig into the details of your programming, how you organize your thoughts around preparing these athletes for these assessments. I think it's just useful to to detail the critical assessments, the objective data is collected for for this passport as such or the, sure. the combine. Just detail those for the listeners so everyone's clear about what we're talking about working towards. So the combine battery uh, is both within and outside of the gym. Within the gym setting, Probably the one that a lot of people will see the most and, and get most excited about is the bench press test. Mm. Uh, I know our linemen and our bigger guys obviously thrive and salivate at the thought of doing this test. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically a fixed weight of 225 pounds or 102 and a half kilos for us um, English people. <laughs> uh, mm. And essentially it's, it's maximum number of reps. Mm. Um, and there are a few rules obviously around what counts as a rep, what doesn't count as a rep, but ultimately you're trying to get the highest number of reps possible with that fixed weight. We'll then... Within the same gym setting, we'll do the vertical jumps. We use something called a Vertec, which uh, guys and girls will have seen as well in terms of the the tool bit of equipment with the, all the sort of mini plastic spikes sticking out, which you have to then try and hit. And essentially, your vertical jump is measured through using that device. And then when we head outside, again, another one which people get most excited about and a lot of money is made or lost on is in the NFL combine, that is, um, is the 40-yard dash, essentially three-point stunt almost like a, a track and field athlete and you just got to sprint 40 yards as far as you possibly can uh and then we get into some more jumping tasks so you have the broad jumps we have the vertical jump indoors outdoors you have the broad jump we then have something called the 5105, uh which is a, a change of direction test um incorporating both 19 and uh, 180 degree turns and then you have the l cone which is more 90 degree based 
um, in terms of change direction as well. Cool. And then just thinking about those assessments, that's kind of your endpoint. If we're looking at this phrase of reverse engineering, the problem that we're trying to solve, it's not necessarily mm. sport and decision-making in any way, way, shape or form. The cognitive side of it is probably limited, but very physically dominated. So are you s searching for certain thresholds of KPIs, certain numbers? Does that is that where your mind starts with understanding how I'm going to program? Yeah, ultimately, I think that we will have a, what we call a baseline sort of combine in the November mm. time. And this is something that is, again, new that we've used this year, which I think is, is incredibly impactful for directing our programming approach and where we spend a lot of our time. So we have a, a baseline combine we'll do in November, which we'll do all these tests with the guys on field and in gym. That'll give us a bit of a benchmark about where these guys are, where specific guys might need to work a little bit more on in terms of their athlete passport, as you say. Yeah. Or um, it basically gives us that that direction of where they are now. We have uh, some data sets from previous years in the academy, but also working closely with cl colleges across the pond and uh, and mm. high schools across the pond around what are some of the numbers, uh, the metrics, and the performances that you probably typically need to get to sort of be considered for these um, mm. tiers of colleges, as, as it were. So that data combined then gives us a a pretty strong approach to, as to where we would want to get them uh, going forward. Nice. And so then you know where you've got to get them towards in terms of like KPIs, what would be good numbers, and maybe we'll dig into that a little bit later. But in terms of your broader scope of planning, what's your personal approach to that? What are the principles you're adhering to that help you organize the way you're training to work towards these goals? So... I'll probably start globally, a bit more macro-based. Mm. Uh, yeah. So one interesting thing that I found going into a role like this where there's a sudden sort of flick of that switch and you're going from becoming a, a traditional team sport athlete who plays an invasion sport, American football, to then it's being a very much an individualized or individual-based assessment of that athlete passport. So you're almost having to think or consider it to being a multi-event, multi-competition, week-on-week, traditional rugby, traditional soccer, soccer, geez. You can tell me mm -hmm. American football, eh? so soccer-based yeah. um, programming styles. But we've actually then almost have to treat these guys as multi-eventers. You wouldn't get an athletics like, like heptathletes, for example, yeah. because they're now being assessed in these very divergent tests, uh, which they then have a chunk of time to prepare for. So we've actually tended to use a little bit more of a, like a single competition type approach. So your traditional accumulation, intensification, realization sort of blocks of training. Yeah. Um, we combine. We, we, we typically combine. Berkashansky's conjugate approach within that so you have blocks of training but we're, we're training all qualities at once it's just depending on how high or low those dials are turned almost like a dimmer switch yeah. and is, is that an individual respect as in who who needs to develop what more or is it quite global at the minute 65 players yeah a lot of people uh, uh, and I don't think there's any shame in the fact that you've got to probably duplicate some programs uh, yeah, exactly that. So in an ideal world, we'd love to to get to a point, and I think we will probably in the next couple of years with some recruitment and, and some more iteration of our systems uh, of trying to be as individualized as we can. But mm -hmm. ultimately, like you said, 65 between two full-time and a couple of placement students as well, uh, assisting with our sort of mm -hmm. program delivery, uh, we have to be generally quite global. So those those phases of training typically be the same across a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, okay. So let's get into these, these, this. It, it is a block approach, right? You've talked very nicely about the fact that it's accumulation, intensification, realization. That's the approach you're using. So let's just get into the detail. What does that look like from you know, intensity volume perspective yeah. and how you're managing training weeks? 
um, for both. I, well, let's focus on the gym to start with, and then we'll move to the outdoor work a little bit later. Perfect. Yeah, my favorite. Uh, <laughs> so, again, iterating from last year, we've we've tended to thread in some themes of combine development earlier than December. So, mm-hmm. almost from November onwards, we're probably starting to get into some strength accumulation type blocks. Um, and by that, I'm trying, basically, I mean, we're accumulating, it's, just, it's literally like we're accumulating volume or volume load, um, across that block of training, which lasting between four and six weeks for us, it's probably that four to five week mark. Uh, ideally what we're trying to target within an accumulation block as particularly a tra- strength accumulation block is morphological changes in, in key sites. So for us around hip extensors, knee extensors are, are a big one through some in-house research we've done, but also some collaboration that we've had with other practitioners doing some great work, we've probably come to the conclusion that the acceleration capability is the discriminating factor in a lot of the combine tests on the field in particular. So um, we know obviously how important acceleration is to the 40-yard dash, but also to some of these shorter distance acceleration type tests, so the Elkin 5.10.5, your ability to accelerate out that hole, the ability to project and, and cover lots of distance in those short distances um, is, is, a, is a real big discriminator that we've seen both in data, but also anecdotally. So yeah, no. a lot of the program that we have will be dri- driven around those key sites. Um, and just to dig into that a little bit, just for clarity for listeners is you know, you've, you've identified that if you can impact acceleration capabilities, you're, you're making a, a safe assumption that there'll be some decent carryover into the other assessments. And so in the gym, there's a big focus on the extension, uh, elements of hip and knee. And that's informing your, your program design, exercise selection. Of course, yeah, yeah exactly that. Yeah, yeah, nice. I like that. Okay, cool. And then like, in terms of like, what that would look like in terms of like, how you accumulate, is that set? Is that rep volume or is it load volume across the same rep scheme? That'd be really cool to hear. So personally, and this is something that I've learned from, um, weirdly enough, I think I actually remember having a conversation way back when at Tiger's Days with, with Matt Parr, who I know you know very well. Mm, yeah. Um, but I, I also the, the, the rest of the Destiny coaches that I worked with at Tigers early in my career um, put me onto this and influenced me quite a lot on this sort of train of thought is that I try to build volume through sets as opposed to, to reps per set. And the main reason mm. being is that we all know that uh, mechanical tension is probably the king sort of mechanism of trying to drive muscle protein synthesis and therefore changes in fiber size and, and global muscle volume essentially. Um, so if I were to have two options of three sets of 10 or five sets of six, both the same volume, I'd always try and err if I can, if the budget allows to the five sets of six example. Yeah. And the reason being is that the load lifted per set was we know would be a lot higher from six reps compared to 10. Um, ultimately the volume's the same, but actually the, the total amount of mechanical tension I will have accrued in that will be so much mm. higher than say a traditional three by 10, um, configuration. Yeah. And, and probably type of uh, fiber type recruitment exactly that, specific yeah. to the task of your improving your hip extension capabilities relating to acceleration so it's really cool yeah nice um but yeah so in the early weeks of accumulation we're probably trying to within these risks well these these target sites which is like i said hip and the extensors we're looking for sort of 15 sets a week and we're trying to build up to 20 25 sets weekly for those main muscle groups um probably building from around 70 to 85 percent of one rm um, and looking to use lots of different tactics, I guess, in terms of trying to accumulate volume or accumulate stress within those, those tissues, such as, um, your supersets, drop sets. We, we're trying to almost across the week as well, get an exposure to the different mechanisms. We know that there was obviously metabolic mm-hmm. stress, eccentric muscle damage. So, uh, ways in which we can try and elicit those as well. But, um, the only other thing to mention about the accumulation phases that we have is because the volume is high. 
traditionally we try and use that as a technical sort of emphasis within that block so there are there's more scope for technical development and um the key lifts that these guys are trying to learn so a, a big one for us is olympic lifting we know how much the the collegiate system or american sports systems in general love olympic lifting and um these guys will be needing to go into those environments having to be able to clean quite competently and quite heavily at that so it, again it's reverse engineering the demands of what we're trying to send them into and prepare them for that as optimally as we can interesting then it's a it's a technical focus not necessarily a stimulus right it's a learning opportunity for them so does that come at the start of your program or at the end of the program you know within, how does it within that accumulation block when your main focus is about like you say mechanical tension and that probably is not going to give you bang yeah. for buck for every set and rep so does it feature at the beginning because they're fresh or do you put it in as an opportunity as like a, a top-up yeah traditionally we have uh put it in at the beginning when they're fresh mm. particularly early on um and as I've said before, you know, we are in this sort of traditional block approach, but there's a conjugate um, sort of focus within these sessions itself. So there, we won't use that lift and purposely won't, won't see that lift as a, as a way of accumulating mechanical mm -hmm. tension or metabolic stress or essential muscle damage. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's purely, like I said, it's more of a motor learning based um, approach. Okay. So um, everything from sets and reps, but also my approach to it, my energy, my, the cueing that I provide, the communication of athletes that are all change. And it changes okay. throughout that that session as well, yeah. um, but uh, I do see a lot of merit in terms of moving it perhaps to the end, especially as a top up, but also being able to, to execute skills well under fatigue, as we know, is mm -hmm. is an important thing that athletes need to to master as well. So um, mm -hmm. that okay. that definitely has some merit to it. Nice. Let's move then to this intensification realization for the next couple of minutes before we shift to the on field comparison, just to wrap up. But your intensification and realization then what 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 do you move towards in terms of your principles you've you've referenced volume intensity which is really useful for the listeners reps and sets so yeah using that model again how do you program for intensification and realization so for intensification uh as we know then that trying to have a try and um give an analogy of building a car we've built the chassis mm. we've put the four mm. wheels on we've got a, look, a good looking car now we have the the engine we're trying to maximize the output and the the ceiling that that en engine can produce so I guess max force and peak force qualities become the, the big driver now for us. Um, so ultimately, you're going to have an ascending level of intensity through that intensification block and traditionally uh, a lowering volume. Mm. Um, yeah. We'd probably be from an intensity, I'm going to touch back with some of the similar principles, but from an intensity perspective, we'll probably now start to teeter around 85% and above 1RM, um, mm. as we said, to try and maximize recruitment of these high threshold motor units and um, and all the neurological based uh, adaptations that we know. One rule of thumb that we, uh, that the, some much cleverer people than I am that, uh, at Loughborough Sport have come to, to realize is a general rule of thumb we have within strength development, at least at Loughborough Sport, is we're trying to accumulate at least 25, 25 reps above 75% 1RM every four to five days. It's generally sort of a, a general rule of thumb we're looking to develop peak force qualities. Um, but I, and as every program does at Loughborough, we sort of take that global rule of thumb and then we, manipulate it and remix it to suit our environment so for me it's i'm preferably trying to get above 85 percent if i can uh some other principles that i've learned through again people that have influenced me greatly alex martin pete burridge and and the likes of that of around um trying to get as much range of motion as we can within these lifts especially when peak force is a is a is an emphasis for us because we know that the greater range of motion you take the muscle through or the joint through the greater population fibers you're going to recruit and therefore greater mechanical tension and, yeah. and uh changes in strength and we're almost trying to use what 
uh, Alex Martin in particular terms as, as low system bias exercises. So ones which are simple, they don't require the brain to do much thinking in terms of stability and yeah. technical emphasis. So using things like Smith machines, Jones machines have been real good methods for us based on the principles of trying to use low system bias exercises. Oh. So essentially the central motor command has nothing to do, but just think about yeah. pushing and <laughs> creating force as much as possible. Um, Nice. And then in your realization phase, is that changing or is it just becoming much more about expression of force fast at that point? Yeah. And it's much more power oriented. So, it, it, well, let's just shift then to the, 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 the field in a moment. The last thing I want to ask you here is how much of, of the work is um, technically driven? You know, when you look at the Vertex, for example, are you looking at biomechanics of movement? Are you jump prof profiling them using force platforms? Anything there that comes into what you do? So again, through the relative length of time that the program's been with us and the, the, I guess, the hierarchy of needs that we've had to fulfill, we haven't been able to delve hugely deeply into all of the combined tests per se, but it's in a continuing journey. And it's funny you say that because we have probably targeted the jumping, both vertical and broad, as one of our sort of next big research projects. We actually had Tommy Monday come in to us a few weeks ago and presented really nicely on some of his strategies he uses to increase jump height, especially around CMJ, which essentially is a vertex or vertical jump, um, using a, a loaded jump profile. Um, so he also, um, mentions and, and touches on the fact that there are differing, uh, strategies used by, by athletes, whether they be more knee or hip dominant, etc. but ultimately we're just trying to improve the amount of impulse that they can produce because yeah. ultimately the impulse is going to determine the velocity they are takeoff the velocity are takeoff is then going to determine how much height you attain in your jump so um that probably comes back down to more of the force expression capabilities that we would get typical yeah. uh rate of force development strategies um mtu cool. stiffness that sort of stuff right so let's just move then towards the out outdoor stuff the movement competency element of this you know they've got good acceleration there's a great carryover opportunity for them but there's still a technical consideration here especially with the change direction. How are you having an impact on that within this three-month block of combine prep? Mm. How do you, how'd you design uh, or for, for program uh, influence and impact here? Mm. So for a lot of these guys, again, similar to a lot of the gym-based stuff, the training age is, is very low, so you have lots of considerations around that. But um, when it comes to on-field, again, their exposure and, and training age using these on-field combine tests is, is incredibly low as well. So... My philosophy towards the on-field stuff, probably less so the, no, no, to, to some degree, the 40-yard dash, but we know that there are some, some major technical big rocks around mm. and the physical big rocks underpin it. So I'll move that to one side for now. I'll just focus on the change direction tests. But for us, uh, for those change direction tests, they are they are what they are. They are tests. And mm. in a right or wrong way, you can think about them as just you having to learn the tests rather than yeah. having to learn about too much, worry about too much else. It's, it's about how well can I master the art of doing the 5.10.5 or the Elkhorn. So it's around exposure and one of our key drivers or key principles around improvement on these tests is around accumulating reps, accumulating volume, letting them fail, fail forwards, get it right, fail a bunch more times, get it right twice, fail a bunch more times, get it right three times and so on. Um, but we have some more specific methods that we do to support that. So we typically use um, film, so our performance analysis. Uh, analysis um, this year has been excellent in terms of providing us with uh, recordings of the guys doing these combine tests. We then, as a PST, will look at them, we'll provide some feedback, we'll annotate them, we'll send them to the guys, we'll provide feedback. It's almost um, a delayed feedback approach. We know how well delayed feedback is for long-term sort of skill acquisition and motor learning. So it's a good opportunity for us to utilize delayed feedback through the use of film to, 
to get them to iterate and reflect so the next time they come they have these key work-ons that they're then going to target in the next session but more so in the session itself it's probably using more of a, um, a whole part whole approach so we, we get them to do reps using a coaching eye you can you can see some guys who might be struggling in specific areas of the of the of the change of direction test uh, you can then break it down into the part you can then isolate it you can overload that part and then very gradually re-put it all back together into the hole again so that's been in a sort of whirlwind tour that's been of our approach around the the on-field test you've got three key movement assessments as such as speed assessments are you looking to separate a focus on a day of the week is it that you cover all bases in one one session and get high frequency throughout a week that way how Mm. are you splitting up a focus so typically within a week we'll try and have a day that focuses primarily on those tests so hmm. um the 40 will break down into two 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 exposures across a week one it's again traditionally more acceleration based uh you're early in, in sort of late acceleration and then you have a, a thursday so it's monday and then a thursday will be more of your upright running maximum velocity type exposure and mechanic uh, nice. mechanics work and then sandwich in the middle of those two with the rest day after that is going to be more of the change of direction based approach nice. and what we've gone for this year at least uh, is more of like a carousel approach. So we, we have the guys split off in different groups. We'll have the drills set up across the field. They'll then spend a block of time with us. We'll go through again reminders of what they learned. We spoke about the previous session. It's right, get, have a go. Um, they will have, they'll bring with them and they'll come with them primed with the, the feedback they've got from us through that film, that delayed feedback. We'll then go through the process of, right, give it a go. Let's see how it's looking this week. Okay, right. I'm still noticing a few tweaks and areas around this particular area. Let's just focus on that for the next five minutes put it back together for another two or three and then off they pop to the to the next drill essentially oh so you got a monday monday thursday linear focus tuesday friday change direction focus yeah and then what about your weights let's just move back to the gym just frequency there is that two times three times four times a week with that accumulation intensification realization how does that work? so we'll typically stick to three times a week when we can um typically a monday wednesday thursday and uh a lot of it's based on schedule of gym use but also academics as well for the guys interestingly how i will then utilize those sessions will change depending on my focus so if it's an accumulation type phase it's going to be more um three total body sessions just in a way like i said mm-hmm. adhering to principles of trying to increase volume load and exposure of load to those tissues whereas if i then move into an intensification phase uh for example then it's probably going to be still three times a week in terms of frequency but it's going to be a total body on the monday and then i'm probably going to isolate uppers and on the wednesday and then and then lowers on the thursday um just so that i could drive intensity and make sure that they're actually having a chance to recover and recoup before the next exposure essentially nice awesome well look we're coming to an end here this is the the point of the performance strategy segment of this podcast is to be really uh, defined, but I mean, we can still talk about one sole topic like this for hours at, at mm. hand. But I have asked you to think about le- letting the listeners know some key advice or key principles that you've learned from this experience. Um, in terms of, okay, I've got a certain thing that I need to prepare for. I know that these things are the main thing I need to focus on physically. Um, and so what, yeah, what can you share with the listeners there in, in, in terms of a bit of advice for a few key principles in this area? I think the first principle reflecting on this years preparation but also last year's is is clarity it's something that's probably Mm. spoken about a lot but probably isn't provided a whole lot it's it's one of those things that's just is a word that doesn't mean mean a ton a lot of places but i think something that we do really well is providing clarity not just amongst us as a performance support team around what our roles responsibilities are but also providing clarity to the players and the, the technical coaches um and that is as simple as sitting them down 
before the combat preparation starts, laying out the plan, giving them clarity on what the phases of training, like accumulation, intensification in the gym will look like and why. And I think touching nicely on one of your key principles, I know you 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 like to, to share with a lot of people is around anchoring it into their why. I think that's something that I've probably picked up from you in particular is around how can I make sure that what I'm providing them isn't just right, we're doing this program. Um, thanks. See you next week. Yeah. Become yeah. ready to to give it every all. It's more like a this is the program, this is the reason why we're doing it, but more specifically, this is reason why it's important for you that we're doing it. Yeah. Um cool. and I've almost sort of tried to feed into a bit of more of a selfish side with that in terms of this is how it's going to help you specifically with your combine. It's going to help you getting recruited. It's going to help you get to your next step. So um, that's one. And I guess another one for me would be uh, closing the loop. I think it's another yeah. one that I think isn't done a whole lot, but we again try try our best and we do a really good job of that is trying to maintain athlete buy-in. It's closing the loop. If we collect data on them, we feed it back to them, whether that be in a competition style leaderboard. Um, I think a huge one for me as well is, is closing the loop in terms of the progress reports that they have. Uh, it can be quite a monotonous time for them. It's it's a long stretch of three months of of the same stuff week in week out. So, yeah. Exactly. So how can we make window dress it for them, um, and essentially keep showing them the progress, keep showing them how they're improving, um, but it also relates to staff as well. We need to close a loop yes. on if there are guys picking up niggles or guys um, show something in the data or they report something, then we need to close a loop very quickly so that we can get together cool. and design a an That's intervention. Awesome. Right, well, well, thank you for on behalf of everyone listening for, for what you've shared here. We're going to hear from you again next week, so I'm really excited for that. But for, for today's episode and what you've shared there, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time today, buddy. And yeah, look forward to chatting on this next section. Thanks, mate. Thanks there to Jack again for sharing quite openly about the preparation for his NFL Academy athletes. Some really unique considerations that I hope have helped you think a little bit about your program design and how you might go about things if you have a similar strategy to consider. Again, a little nudge to remind you that that competition runs for another few days and you can visit my website www.collaboratesports.com and look for the competition tab to enter and I look forward to bringing Jack back to you next week for his episode regarding his stumbles and mistakes throughout his career.